turn with us to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. The Lord is so good to us, even though we don't deserve it. He is so loving, so good, so gracious, merciful, forgiving. Let's uh, bow for just a moment. I know that this is a hectic season. I know that it can be a busy season, a stressful season. And I also know that it's not easy to be able to get up and get families ready and get one another ready and to come to church. And so for just a moment, let's bow and go to the Lord in prayer and focus our minds on Him and on His Word. Father, we thank You for allowing us to be here this morning. I know that there are many things on our minds, many worries, anxieties, concerns. But for just a moment, would you grant us the grace and the mercy to put those aside and to look into your word with the help of your Holy Spirit and to see what you would have us to see as we talk about opening blind eyes, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand. Help us as we look into your word. We are helpless to understand it apart from you. So through your grace, would you give us understanding? And may we walk out of here better equipped to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for doing that. We have been looking really at the theme that Mark has been carrying about for the last several weeks of of spiritual blindness. That, that has been the theme. That's been the... Uh, the topic that he has been tackling throughout the uh, several few passages going all the way back to the religious leaders. The religious leaders. After the feeding of the 4,000 over in the Decapolis, the beginning of Mark chapter 8. I know we've been in chapter 8 for a, uh, about a month now, but that's okay. Uh, he tells of the religious leaders that meet Jesus back in Jerusalem and they ask Jesus for a sign. They say, we want you to give us a sign to prove to us that you are really who you claim to be, the, the Messiah, the, the Son of God. Give us a sign. And what they're asking for is they're asking for a cosmic sign. They're asking for a celestial sign, a sign in the sky. They want Jesus to rearrange the stars. And Jesus says that's not going to happen. That's not going to take place. And so he turns and he leaves the religious leaders, but he doesn't just leave them in the sense of leaving them physically. He leaves them in an act of judgment in their blindness. They are permanently blind. God has judged them. They are past the point of grace. And they are the example for us of those in the world that reject 
Jesus. They reject the gospel. They reject the word of God. And God in his judgment permanently blinds them. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, he gave them over. Jesus gave the religious leaders over to their blindness. He says, you wouldn't see. Now, he says, you can't see. They're the permanently blind. The next passage, Jesus gets in the boat and he begins to go across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And he tells them they need to watch out. You remember? He says, watch out for the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees. Watch out for the sinful teachings the false teachings, the satanic teachings of the religious leaders that they had grown up with. And the disciples, we called them blockheads, remember? Because they immediately started talking about the fact they didn't have any bread. So we don't have any bread with us. So they're, they're, their minds are on lunch. And Jesus reminds them, He tells them, you're not getting it. He says, I'm talking not about bread. No, I'm not talking about lunch. I'm talking about you need to watch out for sin. You need to watch out for sinful teachings. You need to watch out for sinful ideologies. You need to watch out for their wickedness. You need to watch out for their false teachings. And the very verse in Matthew 16 that we looked at, Profound statement, it said the disciples understood. They were the temporarily blind. They got it. They didn't get it all at one time. They were a little slow, just like we are. You know, we don't get it all at once, do we? But they got it. God had opened their eyes. He had opened their ears. He had opened their hearts to receive the truth. And they understood. And each and every day that they continued with Jesus, that light continued to expand and that light continued to reveal and their minds continued to accept and to understand the teaching that Jesus gave them. And we understand, church, that again, there are a lot of things that even at this point in time they didn't understand. You, all you have to do is fast forward to John chapter 13. Go to the Last Supper and they're asking questions like, where are you going? We don't understand why you're going, uh, telling us that you're going somewhere we can't follow. We don't understand why you're talking about your death. We don't understand a lot of things. So it, it wasn't that they got it all at one time. Okay, I don't want to discourage you if you don't understand everything at once. That's never how it happens, no. But they had been healed of their blindness. They had seen the truth of Jesus. They had seen the truth of the gospel. They had seen the truth of repentance. And that light continued to expand. So now we come this morning to Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And what Jesus is going to do is He's going to give the disciples an object lesson in lifting or healing spiritual blindness. And this is not uncommon to Mark. This is a healing that is unique to Mark. And if you remember, there was another healing that was unique to Mark where Jesus stuck his fingers in the man's ears and he put his saliva on the man's tongue. And this was an illustration of God giving us ears to hear after Jesus had talked about those that were 
spiritually deaf. They didn't have ears to hear. And Jesus gave an object lesson to the disciples of opening someone's ears to the truths of the gospel. Well, now Jesus is going to do that exact same thing again. This morning in the passage, he's just talked about how the religious leaders are permanently blind, how the disciples were temporarily blind, and now Jesus is going to do what he so often does. He's going to give us an example of how that happens. Now, the main takeaway from all of this that I want you to see is that, number one, man is blind and dead in his sin. We understand that, don't we? We know that. Man is depraved. He is helpless before God. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 tells us that man is dead in his sin, or chapter 2, rather, excuse me. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that he is dead in his sin. Man is hopeless, lost, blind, dead apart from God. And only God can lift the blindness and bring life to the dead heart and save the sinners. So let's look at our text here, beginning in verse 22 of Mark chapter 8. And it says, And they came to Bethsaida. So they come to Bethsaida. And they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. Now, depending on what commentary you read, some will have this... Uh, they'll talk about it as if it is just kind of inserted into the Gospel of Mark, just kind of shoved in there. It doesn't really have any bearing on the previous passage or the next passage over, but I, I find that just really impossible to believe. Okay? Because I don't believe the Holy Spirit does anything at random, right? So when he is inspiring Mark to write his gospel, I believe that this account, this passage is put specifically here for us to understand what it means for God to lift spiritual blindness and the different components that go into that, so to speak. Okay? This passage, I believe, is put here specifically as a testimony to God healing our spiritual blindness. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a strange story, isn't it? No doubt. Strange account. Okay? Jesus gets to Bethsaida. They bring this blind man to him. And the thing that I know that's on your mind when you read this passage is, what's the deal with the episode about the man seeing men like trees? Right? That's where our minds immediately go to. Why is it that God healed this man in two different phases? Why didn't Jesus just heal him right the first time and let that be it? Well, I'm going to explain that to you here in just a moment. But there's three different things I want you to see here, okay? Number one, faithful believers. Let's look at faithful believers. You, you could call these episodes if you would, within this particular passage, 
In the first episode are those of faithful believers. Look in verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. They brought a blind man to Jesus and they implored him to touch him. Now Jesus, let, let's, let's remember our history here, okay, church? Jesus is, is by and large done in Galilee, okay? He's ended his ministry there. He is turning his attention now to the disciples, to the twelve specifically, or you could even say eleven minus Judas. That's where he's going to focus most of his attention from here on out. It's going to be um, a close-knit seminary for them for the remaining months of Jesus' life. He is going to teach some publicly, but by and large, he's focusing on his disciples. And so when it comes to the ministry of Galilee, he's done in Galilee, he's done in Judea. He'll teach some in the temple, but that's about all that remains for them. Okay, God has rendered his judgment on Israel for rejecting their Messiah and his message. However, Jesus is famous, isn't he? He's virtually banished illness from Israel. He's performed signs and wonders after signs and wonders. And so when people see Jesus, they obviously know him as the miracle maker. This is the healer. This is the man that can cast out demons. This is the man that can feed multitudes. This is the man that can heal the sick. So Jesus gets to Bethsaida and here comes these people bringing a blind man to Jesus. They obviously recognize his power. But this is what I thought of as I was studying this passage this week. Two things I want you to see about these faithful believers. Number one, it says in verse 22, they brought a blind man to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What's the problem with the blind man? He can't see. He can't see. So he couldn't see to get to Jesus even if he wanted to, right? What did he need? Someone to lead him. And it's no different for us. You see, you look out, we, we, we really shouldn't be surprised. We talk a lot about how bad the world is, don't we? We do. We, we talk about how bad the world is. We talk about how bad things are in our nation. But really, church, it really should not surprise us. Because they're blind. They can't see. They don't understand. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 3. He says there's no one that does good. There's no one that seeks after God. He said there's no one that understands. These are sinners that act like what? Sinners. And we would be no different except that God would lift the blindness from our eyes. So it shouldn't surprise us. However, what we need to recognize is we need to recognize that these people that are apart from God, those that are lost, those that are blind and dead in their sin cannot get to God on their own. Rather, they need someone to do what? To lead them. 
You see a lot of parallels between this and the blind man in John chapter 9 where Jesus tells the blind man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. It says the man went and washed, but you know what? There was somebody that still had to step out of the crowd and lead that blind man to the pool in order to wash. What does the blind need? They need a guide. The blind need someone to take them by the hand and lead them. And the spiritually blind are no different. This is what you and I are called to do. As I was getting out of the car this morning, I looked over at the sign and it, I love that it still reads, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. How do we lead people to Christ? We preach the gospel. That's what we do. We take the message of God and we take it to those that are blind because it is through the message of the gospel that the Holy Spirit works and opens the blind eyes to the truths that are found in God's Word. These people, they decided to go and get this man that could not guide himself. He could not see if this man were to try to get to Jesus on his own, try to get to God on his own, who knows what trouble he would fall into. He could be led astray. And there are many people that would lead the world astray, which is why they need the truth. They need those of us that know the truth, that know the scripture, that know the gospel, to take them by the hand and to lead them and guide them to the Lord through the preaching of the gospel. But secondly, I want you to see this. Not only did they lead him, they get to Jesus, and what does it say they do? They brought a blind man to Jesus and what? Implored him. What does that mean? They begged him. They begged Jesus. Please. Please heal this man. Please remove the blindness. Please lay your hands on him and touch him and bring healing and sight where there is none. And church, as I studied this this week, God just absolutely wrecked me because am I faithful to beg God to heal those that are spiritually blind in my life? Are we faithful to do that? Are we faithful to plead and beg with God? I, 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 can, I can name off the top of my head several people in my life that I know that are lost, that are blind, that need the healing hand of God on their hearts and on their eyes to remove the blindness that is there because of their sin that is there because of their allegiance to Satan. What else can we say? Paul says that we are children of wrath, children of Satan under his influence if we are lost and dead in our sin. This is the reality. This is where they're at. And so it is no surprise that here we see that we ought to be faithful to implore God day after day to remove the blindness from those that are lost and apart from Him. I hate to say that I have not been as faithful as I should. 
But see, church, it really should humble us. Because if it were not for the grace of God, and if it were not for those that were faithful to come before us and to pray for us and to lead us to God, where would we be? We would be blind. Just the same. And so these faithful believers, they take this blind man, they lead him to Jesus. Just as we should take those that are blind in our lives and through the preaching of the gospel, take them by the hand and in truth, in love, lead them to Christ. We can't make them drink, can we? But we can show them the way. We can lead them. We can beg God. We can implore Him to remove the blindness that prohibits them from seeing the truth. We can implore Him and beg Him to open their ears. We can implore Him and beg Him to soften their hearts to the truths of the gospel. And I have failed so greatly in that. And God has showed me that through this passage here. These are faithful believers. This is what they do. They lead people to Christ. They implore Him to lay His hands on them. Because church, let me ask you a question. Why didn't they try to beg the man to go to Jesus? <laughs> Why didn't they beg the man to reach out and touch Jesus? Why didn't they beg the man, well, if you'll just believe, then you'll see. Is that what they ask? They begged Jesus to heal him. They begged Jesus to remove the blindness. Because the truth of the matter is, church, is that as long as a sinner is blind in their sin, they cannot do anything. We beg God to remove the blindness. These are faithful believers. Next, we have a faithful Savior. Look at what Jesus did in verse 23. He takes the blind man by the hand. And he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. There are several things that Jesus did in this passage that I want you to see. Number one, Jesus took the man by the hand, didn't he? And he leads him out of the village. Now, on the outset, I just want to say that is a, an act of judgment. Because Jesus wanted him out of the crowds. He wanted him somewhere away from the village because Jesus is no longer offering himself to Bethsaida. He has pronounced judgment on Bethsaida. They've had their opportunity and they rejected him. So Jesus takes this man to a remote private place. But there's something within this that I want you to see. And that is just like that Jesus did with the man that was deaf. He took him by the hand and he brought him out of the crowd. Jesus knew exactly who this man was. Jesus knew exactly where this man would be. He knew exactly what this man's problem was. And he knew the exact moment in which he would take his hand and lead him out of that village and open his eyes. And now all that is to say that God in His sovereignty chose you 
just as he chose this man. Just as Jesus chose to pass by Zacchaeus, just as Jesus chose to pass by Matthew, just as Jesus chose Peter and all the apostles, as he chose us in Ephesians 1, 4, the scripture says that God before the foundation of the world chose you and wrote your name down. You see, this is why we are so helpless, church. Because apart from the grace of God, we can do nothing. This man, without God's grace, without his mercy, without his forgiveness, would have no hope of seeing. This is why we praise God for his goodness, for his mercy, for his grace, because salvation is wholly a work of who? All this is to show us that it's wholly a work of God. It is wholly his work. Jesus takes this man, he leads him out of the village. And I can picture this so tenderly. Jesus took this man by the hand. Here God is leading a blind man to the place that he will receive his sight. And church, let me just ask you a question. Can you not look back in your life at the moment in which God saved you and see how God in his sovereignty had orchestrated everything to lead you to that exact moment? I can look back on my life and so many times I would have destroyed it. I would have demolished it. I would have wrecked it. In many ways, I did wreck it. But I can look back and I can see the hand of God working, even despite my sin, bringing me to a place of brokenness, just as Jesus took this man by the hand and led him so he leads each one of us to that very moment. And I'm reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us this great chain of redemption, saying that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose, those whom He foreknew He predestined, those whom He predestined He called those whom He called. He justified those whom He justified. He glorified salvation in its totality is wholly a work of God that God in taking us by the hand leads us through every single point of it. And this is why we praise Him for His grace, isn't it? Because in all things He gets glory. In all things He leads us to that moment, just as Jesus took this man by the hand and led him to that moment in which he would receive his sight. Moving on, he takes him by the hand, he brings him out of the village, and next he does something that is, I guess, what we would consider to be probably frowned upon. He spits on his eyes and lays his hands on him. Now, I don't know about you, But even if I'm blind, I don't know that I want anyone spitting in my eyes, do you? (laughs) Probably not. But these two actions really are acts of grace on Jesus' part because the man can't what? He can't see. So he relies on his other senses, such as touch, sound, even taste. So Jesus spits on this man's eyes to signify, I'm going to heal your eyes. But it's also, again, 
reminiscent of what Jesus did with the mute man that couldn't speak. Jesus took the saliva from his tongue and placed it on the man's tongue. Jesus made spittle with dirt and saliva in John chapter 9 and put it on the man's eyes that couldn't see. And all of this to signify that this is wholly the work of Jesus, that he is transferring his healing power to the man in order to bring about that which is marred, to heal that which is broken. But I want you to think about this in another way. How would you feel if somebody come up to you and spit in your eye? Wouldn't you be offended? <laughs> I think we all would be, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, we wouldn't. We understand these are different circumstances. But no less, it is something that society would frown upon. It's something that would not be publicly acceptable to do. It is slightly offensive. And we probably would think maybe even a little gross to spit in somebody's eyes. But church, let me just remind you of the fact that the gospel that brings about sight to the blind is always offensive, isn't it? Does the world accept or reject the message of the gospel? It rejects it. It confronts man with the reality of his sin. It confronts man with the reality that he is dead in his sin. It confronts man with the reality that he is helpless in his sin and that he cannot do anything to save himself. And man abhors that message because man is prideful, man is arrogant. Man is, again, blind and dead in his sin. He cannot accept that truth unless God opens his heart to it. So in order to get to the good news of the gospel in which Christ has died for you, we must confront people with the fact that they are sinners before a holy God. And this is why they need salvation. And man finds that message offensive. Jesus spits in his eyes. Something that is offensive to us, just as the gospel is offensive to the world. But then Jesus lays his hands on him. And you see, after the bad news of man's sin and the danger of hell, comes the comfort of God's grace, his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness in Jesus. Just as spitting in the eyes would be an uncomfortable thing to undergo, we've all been in places where we have been broken and for even to have someone simply lay their hand on your shoulder, what does that bring? That brings comfort. That brings peace. And Jesus laid his hands on this man. But Jesus, this is how he healed people. He touched them. A direct rebuke to the religious leaders who wouldn't even dare touch somebody like this. Jesus reaches out and touches them. He does. Now here we come to the question, okay, why did Jesus heal this man in two phases? It says he laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. In other words, uh, the man could see blurs of people, but he couldn't see them clearly. Then it says in verse 25, again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored. And he began to see everything clearly. 
Did Jesus mess up? No. Did Jesus lack the power the first time? No. So why did he heal in two phases? Well, we don't know for certain. We can speculate, but I believe that it's fairly clear that he is illustrating for the disciples that clear, perfect spiritual sight does not come all at once. They were illustrations of that themselves in the previous passage, weren't they? <laughs> they weren't blind any longer. There was still some blindness left, but they weren't blind any longer. Let me give it to you like this. How many of you all are, you say, I'm saved? Okay, we raise our hands. That means that you're justified, right? That means that you're righteous before God, right? Now, how many of you sinned this morning? Well, how can that be? How can you be righteous and sinful? Just like the disciples, how can you be blind but not blind? Just like this man, how can you see and yet not see clearly? It's like this, church. Jesus is showing the disciples that pure, clear, perfect spiritual sight does not come all at once. They wanted Jesus to bring the kingdom, and indeed the kingdom had come because the king was there, but it was not at its full culmination yet. They could see, they could see the truths of the gospel, they could see the truths of Christ, but they could not see them perfectly yet. Yes, everything has its culmination in Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that, but His kingdom has not yet come in its fullness yet. And so it is with this man. Jesus heals him and He says, Can you see anything? Jesus knew what He was doing, didn't He? He wasn't like a doctor asking the man, okay, do, do these glasses work? Like we had to go through with Charlotte, do these glasses work? Do these glasses work? Do these glasses work? You know, asking her, can you see clearly? Can you see clearly? Taking her word for it. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He did this purposefully, I believe. He knew what the man could see and what he couldn't see. But who's there with him? Remember, Jesus took the man outside of the village, right? So it's just him and who? The disciples. And he says, can you see anything? And he's like, well, yeah, I can see people, most likely the disciples, walking around. They look like trees. Jesus says, okay. And then he lays his hands back on his eyes and says, now what? Oh, now I can see clearly. And he's looking at the disciples saying, do you get it? Do you get it? The more you're with me, he says, the more clearly you'll see. And the more you're with me, the more I will work. And the more that I work, the more that you'll see. Again, church, this, what does the blind man do? Nothing. He simply stays at the feet of Jesus. Just as Mary was at the feet of Jesus while Martha was busy in the kitchen. It's a lesson that you don't have to cook, you just got to go visit. It's a joke, but okay. No one got it. It's okay. The man just simply sat at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus brought about the healing power as Jesus wanted to, according to His will. And you say, well, what's this lesson for me? This lesson for you is that, are you a Christian? Yes. Okay. Are you a believer? Yes. Okay. Are you righteous? Yes. Okay. But do you still struggle with sin? Yes. 
but your job is to rest and trust in the gospel and be obedient as God brings about obedience in your life. You will see things more clearly as God brings about sight in your life. Your responsibility, according to John the Baptist, is to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Living a Spirit-filled life. How do you be filled with the Spirit? You read the Word of God. You sit at the feet of Jesus. See, it all comes back to resting in Him. Spending time with Him. Trusting in Him. Imploring Him. The disciples were no longer blind, but God didn't reveal everything at once. And they needed to know that, just as we need to know that. Do you still struggle with sin? Yes. So did Paul. You're in good company. So do I. We all do. But it's by the grace of God that we move forward, isn't it? We live lives of repentance. That's what proves our faith is that even though we still struggle with sin, we live lives of repentance. You have faithful believers that bring the man to Jesus and they beg him to heal him. We have a faithful Savior that opens our eyes to the truths of the gospel and that reveals to us his word. And then we have God's faithful word. Look at verse 26 and we'll close. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Let me sum it up by saying this God is faithful to save, is he not? He is. He is faithful to save. He is faithful to save those whom He has chosen. He is faithful to save those that believe. He is faithful to save those that go to Him. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, If any man comes to Me, I will by no means what? Cast him out. If you go to the Lord, He will be faithful to save you. Romans 10, 13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's faithful to do that. But he's also faithful to judge those who reject him. You say, why do you bring this up? Because why did Jesus tell the man not to go back into the village? They had rejected him. And if the man went back into the village and proclaimed it, this would only drive more of them out to Jesus, and he's saying no more. This man was obedient. He went home. And that was an act of judgment against the village of Bethsaida because they did not get the testimony of his power through this man. So he is faithful to save, yes, but he is also faithful to judge those that have rejected him. Again, you have the temporarily blind and you have the permanently blind. You say, well, what do I do? Well, if you are a Christian, then you pray and you ask God, you implore Him to reveal more of Himself to you. This is the, sanctifi the sanctifying walk. Each day the light continues to expand, doesn't it, as we spend more and more time in the Word of God. You say, well, I've never been saved. Then you implore God to open your eyes to the truths of the Gospel. And we as a church, we as a church, and I... We are to be faithful to implore God to open the eyes of those that are blind. 
that is our responsibility. We lead those that are blind to Christ and we implore Him to open their eyes. And I just want to leave you with this question. Are we faithful to do that? Are we faithful to lead those that are blind to Him? And are we faithful to implore God to open their eyes? Father, we thank You for this wonderful passage, this convicting passage of Scripture. Father, may we be faithful to lead people to You and to implore You to open their eyes. Father, forgive me where I have failed to do that. Help us to be a church that is faithful to You in this way. If there is somebody here this morning that is blind, I pray that You would open their eyes. I pray that You would open their heart. And I pray that You would open their ears to the truths of Your Word, the truths of the Gospel. That we are blind and dead in our sin. And that we deserve hell. But Father, that You sent Jesus to come and be our substitute on the cross and to die in our place and to raise three days later. And that through Him we have salvation. If they are blind here, Father, I pray that You would open their eyes. They would call upon You for salvation. In Jesus' name, Amen.